Hamilton passes bylaw to discourage rent evictions. Tens of thousands of Ukrainians are expected to come to Canada before the end of March. Nunavut inks devolution agreement with the federal government, NATO to host the largest war games in a generation, and Jordan bombs Syria to try and stop the drug trade. Good morning. It's Friday, January 19th. My God. I'm Nora coming to you from Hamilton, Ontario, and here are your headlines. We're going to start this morning where I am. This is just a coincidence, folks. I cannot be bought by beers at a Kelsey's in Hamilton's East End to feature something on the Daily News. I am incorruptible. Anyway, Hamilton has just passed a bylaw to stop renovictions. It's the first of its kind in Ontario, reports the CBC's Samantha Beattie. The intention of the law is to stop landlords from being able to evict people under the pretense that they're doing renovations, only to then jack up the rent for a new renter to come in. Council voted on this bylaw unanimously. It's taken a long time and a lot of work from activists and councillors alike. Narinder Nan has been fighting for a bylaw of this kind for years. From 2017 to 2022, there was a 983% increase in the number of eviction notices that had been served to tenants in Hamilton related to renovations. 983%. My God. While tenants are supposed to have the right in Ontario to move back after renovation at the same rent as before, there are very few penalties levied to landlords who do not respect the law and who don't allow tenants to return. During the vote, Mayor Andrea Horvath and Councillor Mike Spadafora abstained because they're landlords, and I guess they materially benefit from rent evictions? That's the logic they must be using there, right? That's ridiculous. Why, why, would, you, why would you abstain for that? Like, whatever. Okay. Anyway, the new bylaw will force landlords to pay a license fee of $715 per unit to get a renovation license. Then the landlord has to, well, the article says, fill out all building permits, which I feel like must have already been part of the law. But anyway, then they need an engineer's report saying that the vacancy is necessary. The landlord then has to arrange with a tenant who wants to return to be somewhere during the renovation, whether temporary accommodation or compensation. The tenant has the right to return at the same rate of rent that they were paying before the renovation happened. And the punishment is fines. Enforcement starts, quote unquote, next January, says the report, which I guess means 2025? Next, with the clock ticking for people to get access to temporary emergency visas for Ukrainians fleeing the war in Russia, Laura Osman at the Canadian Press reports that settlement agencies are preparing for tens of thousands of people to arrive. Since March 2022, 936,298, that is 936,000 temporary emergency visas have been issued to Ukrainians. Osman describes the visas as being available to, quote, anyone who wants to work or study in Canada while they wait out the war, unquote. Despite how many visas have been given out, 210,178 people have actually come to Canada. So not everyone who holds one of these visas has actually arrived. Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada believes that another 90,000 people who already have visas are going to come to Canada before the end of March. 
Osman explains that settlement agencies are trying to convince Ukrainians to settle in smaller towns where there is cheaper housing. Any Ukrainian who misses the March 31st deadline can still come to Canada, but they can't get a three-year work visa or a study visa or get access to financial or settlement supports. The article doesn't actually say what kind of financial supports that these folks were eligible for. And right beside this article in a sidebar of other headlines is a story with a headline that says this, quote, 144 Gazans on track to come to Canada pending biometrics, unquote. Next, from Stephanie Taylor at the Canadian Press. Yesterday, Justin Trudeau was in Nunavut to sign what Taylor describes as the largest land transfer in Canadian history. Premier PJ Akiagok and Trudeau signed the document called the Nunavut Lands and Resources Devolution Agreement. What's being devolved? Well, control over public land, water, and non-renewable resources. They will now be managed by Nunavut, not the federal government. Similar processes have already happened in Yukon and the Northwest Territory years ago, reports Taylor. She says that the agreement will, quote, open the door to new jobs, unquote, and mentions that they will come particularly from resource development. It's interesting that Taylor chose to go with the frame of land transfer. Devolution of powers isn't exactly a land transfer. Nunavut can't leave Canada, for example. It's just passing powers. But anyway, there are other more complex issues that still have to be hammered out, like human resources and federal building ownership. The parties have until April 2027 to deal with them. Leaders in Nunavut hope that the agreement will give the territory more resources to expand water capacities to build more housing and unlock more economic opportunities for people living there. Now to international news and first to NATO. Next week, some 90,000 personnel are gathering to participate in NATO's largest ever war games. It will last for months and is called Steadfast Defender 2024. They will quote-unquote rehearse how it would respond if Russia attacked a NATO country. Al Jazeera notes that while NATO doesn't specifically name Russia, they do say in a document that quote-unquote Moscow is quote the most significant and direct threat to member states, unquote. Moscow is? Really? I feel like our most significant and direct threat is actually coming from other Canadians. The ones who collect rent, fix grocery prices, do the tar sands, you know, those kinds of things. But whatever. The war games, quote, will demonstrate NATO's ability to rapidly deploy forces from North America and other parts of the alliance to reinforce the defense of Europe, unquote. And NATO has chosen Poland as the country that they're pretending is being attacked. There will also be exercises that involve the Baltic states, too, and some work with Germany. Sweden will be the only non-NATO country participating, as they are on the cusp of joining. And finally, to southeast Syria, where some 10 civilians, including two kids, were killed in airstrikes. Al Jazeera reports the strikes, quote, are believed, unquote, to have been done by Jordan, but Jordan has not confirmed that they are involved. Reporting from Sueda 24 says that warplanes struck residential neighborhoods in Sueda just after midnight local time. Jordan has probably done this before to try and slow weapon smuggling and drug trafficking between the border that separates Jordan and Syria. Residents of the targeted neighborhoods appealed to Jordan to find other ways to deal with drug smugglers than to bomb a residential neighborhood. 
Al Jazeera says that it's thought that this is the third time this year that Jordan has bombed Syria from the sky. Earlier in January, they bombed an area outside of Suweda and killed three people. Two days before that, five smugglers were killed in a border attack. In the wake of Syria's civil war, that country has become a key node in the drug trade in the region. Captagon, an amphetamine, is manufactured in Syria and its trade is worth billions of dollars. Human rights lawyer SM al-Zubi accused the Syrian government of encouraging drug operations there with the help of Hezbollah. Those are your headlines for Friday, January 19th. It is Friday. I hope you have some time off in the next couple of days. I'm Nora, and as always, you are listening to this podcast at sandynora.com, at the Real News Network podcast feed, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Have a great day. If you are in Toronto, come to another Story Bookstore tonight for an event where we're talking about COVID and capitalism. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to see, I don't know, you? Will you be there? You. I'll talk to you. I know. You can't come. You're not in Toronto. Have a great weekend.